This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. I want to tell you about a great new podcast called Outside the Box. If you're a maker, an innovator, or even just a consumer who wants to peek behind the curtain of some of the world's greatest organizations, you'll love it. The latest episode features interviews with the visionaries who are creating systems that bring our work, and more importantly, our workforce, into the 21st century. Because although we're plugged in at home, when it comes to the workforce, we're lagging behind. Listen to Outside the Box in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, enjoy the show. We're one of the only countries to do this. You know that, Tooth Fairy? Some weird pagan ritual. Doesn't make any sense. You know what they do in Mexico and Spain? Anybody? Raton. Tooth Rat. It's a much better system. Think about it. You find out the tooth fairy doesn't exist, you're disappointed. Find out the tooth rat doesn't exist. Huge relief. Doesn't even sound real. Whole thing sounds like a Yakov Smirnoff premise. In my country, we don't have tooth fairy, we have tooth rat. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis, and welcome to Kick-Ass News. That was a clip from Al Madrigal's hilarious new stand-up special for Showtime called Shrimpin' Ain't Easy. Al Madrigal was a regular correspondent on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and he's a co-founder of the All Things Comedy Podcast Network alongside Bill Burr. Beginning his career in San Francisco as a solo performer and a member of the sketch group he co-founded called Fresh Robots, Madrigal got his first big breaks performing at SF Sketchfest and the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal. And two years later, he won the award for Best Stand-Up Comedian at the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen. Madrigal's first one-hour special, Why is the Rabbit Crying?, aired on Comedy Central, and it was named one of the top ten comedy specials in 2013 by both Westworld and The Village Voice, who praised him for deconstructing stereotypes rather than enforcing them. Al Madrigal's performed on Conan, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, The Tonight Show, and Jimmy Kimmel Live. He's also had co-starring roles in the CBS sitcoms Gary Unmarried and Welcome to the Captain, as well as NBC's About a Boy. And from 2011 to 2016, he was the popular senior Latino correspondent on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. In addition to his new Showtime comedy special, he's a regular on another Showtime series about the 70s comedy boom called I'm Dying Up Here. And today, Al Madrigal will talk about how the show explores the dark, tortured side of being a stand-up and how he's managed to avoid the three D's of being a comedian, drinking, drugs, and depression. He shares why he's resisted being pigeonholed as a Latino comic, his thoughts on ethnic humor, and why he thinks white guys actually have it tougher in comedy. He discusses working with Jon Stewart, his audition for The Daily Show, and flying by the seat of his pants as a correspondent in the field, as well as the brutal toll that commuting from coast to coast took on his family, and why he says his wife and kids are the best cure for the vices that come with stand-up and celebrity. Plus, seafood as revenge, why you might want to avoid cilantro for the next four years, and Al Madrigal gets real about Donald Trump and that stupid damn wall. Coming up with comedian Al Madrigal in just a moment. 
My guest today was a senior correspondent for The Daily Show, and he's a series regular on Showtime's I'm Dying Up Here. He's also the co-host of the All Things Comedy podcast and recently released a Showtime stand-up special called Shrimpin' Ain't Easy. Al Madrigal, thanks hey, for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. First of all, shrimpin' ain't easy. I kind of think that you know, anytime you use shrimp as a verb and you're not in Louisiana, you're probably going into a pretty dark place there. What's it's, the story behind a, the title there? It's a there? big revenge story, and actually to tie it in with The Daily Show, that it's something that I actually did. Uh, and it, again, it's a 25-minute story that I launch into and close with him in this special, which I encourage okay. you to watch. It's on Showtime. What's the 25-second so, version? The 25-second <laughs> version is um, I got revenge, I, seafood revenge. Have you heard That's of that? That's a thing. Yeah, that is a thing. Hiding seafood in a place uh, so it <laughs> smells and destroys the business that you hate. And, and that works? That totally works. Okay. And so uh, there's a bunch of stories that go along in, into it. Again, it's this big, long closer. But I was telling the story to John Hodgman in 2012, and he said, and what's it like when you tell that story on stage? And I said, well, I don't tell it on stage because I'm going to be found liable for destroying this business. I really did Oh, this. yeah. There might and, be criminal um, liability there. Sure. It still might be because I think it did close. It's so, a misdemeanor at worst, so, I'm sure. Uh, he said, you got to do it because even if you are caught, comedian sued for shrimping is the best you know, <laughs> article worth, ever. Worth so, it for the PR. Exactly. Huh? So oh, okay. anyway, I started telling the story and it was um, people enjoy it and it was enough of a story to just anchor the whole special around. So there you go. <laughs> Shrimping it easy. Well, I love the special. Particularly, I love the bit about uh, how you don't trust Yelp. And then there's some kind of urban legend that supposedly, I guess, Mexicans are shitting in the cilantro to get back at Trump. Did someone really tell you that? that? Was, Is I, that a real thing? I almost thing? hugged him when he told me that because I knew it was going to be a seven-minute bit. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I'm at this taco truck, and we actually uh, live very close to each other, so all these references will work. But it's in Eagle Rock, uh, and okay. there's a 76 station with a taco truck. And I'm there standing in line, and I overhear this guy say um, to the, the person in the window at the taco truck, Hey, bro, on that order, can I get no cilantro? Because um, you know what they're doing to the cilantro, right? <laughs> and the guy in the taco truck goes, yes, see, 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 I know. <laughs> and walks away. I'm left standing there going, uh, excuse me, what, what, what's going on with the cilantro? <laughs> and the guy goes, oh, bro, my mom told me not to eat any cilantro um, because they're shitting in it <laughs> to get back at Trump. <laughs> And at that point, I practically hugged that man. Like, I was like, oh, this is, just, yeah, this is the greatest bit ever. So um, that's what I do. So that's I a real take. thing. So that, that really happened. And it's a real thing. Oh, my God. But there's and always I, an E. coli breakout. And, you oh, know, right. where are they supposed yeah. to go to the bathroom? Yeah. I was just not the luxurious <laughs> men's and women's facilities in the cilantro field. So I'm sure yeah. there's shit and everything. And, and in your act, I think you, you break down the particular thinking behind that whole attempt at sex. Sabotage and how there's exactly. probably a lot of collateral the damage oceans, that goes yeah, along. The Ocean's with Eleven that. style planning that's <laughs> yeah. taking place in a Mexican cilantro field where they can get the shit covered cilantro <laughs> direct to Trump's mouth. Like, what is the path there? Uh, yeah, how are we the gonna, Taco Bowl. Yeah, exactly. The right, the Trump bowl. Tower Taco Bowl. <laughs> and then with Yelp thing, I just really I'm I can't believe every time I look at him, I'm shocked. The number of user generated reviews. 
that yeah. are just occupying so much of our time. And we wonder, we're failing in so many other areas. I mean, it's just countless. And that's what I say in my actions. There's 3,000 better things you could be doing with your time. Yeah. It really is. As long as there's homeless children, no one should be <laughs> wasting time yeah. reviewing a, a $19 toaster. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Well, I imagine you're probably skeptical of those reviews simply because they are sort of self-selecting by virtue of the people that actually have time to waste on that sort of thing. There's, it's like radio calling yeah. uh, people. There's just <laughs> not a bright group. They could, no one, whoever has the time to take out of their day and it's, they're just not productive people yeah. and they're not productive members of society and we shouldn't trust any of them. Wow. <laughs> wow. Really strong Sorry. there. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Well, you've had an interesting path into comedy because I guess before all this, didn't you work for, I think, 10 years in a human resource staffing agency where your job was pretty much to fire people? Yeah, I was a hatchet man, so I was <laughs> in charge of all progressive discipline. So it was from 19 to 32, even longer than 10 years. And it was my parents' family business that they wanted me to take over so i and and probably selfishly they wanted i was their path to retirement i was their path out mm -hmm. so it was primarily my mother's business and it was a staffing firm that specialized in taking care of all your hr needs so okay. what we do for politicon or you know the tokyo wacko place across the street yeah. is we would employ everyone working there so we, they had no liability. We took care of workers' comp. You were okay. a member of a larger employee benefits pool. So we had 3,500 employees. You have 12. We have that group buying power when, you know, that it was. It okay. Was. Makes so sense. It's it really does. Model. And then also I specialize in all taking care of all your dirty work. Yeah. So technically there are people <laughs> working at your location. So I want to make sure everything's done perfectly. I used to do sales. Sorry. So I'm still, I just launched. I know you right do a pretty it. good job. It's so a good all these companies, Account Temps does this. Trinet does this. I mean, there's huge companies that are publicly traded companies that do. It's it's called professional employment organizations, PEOs. And we were a small mom and pop PEO that my mom bought. And it we went, she went, my mom has this incredible rags to riches story. She went from making $6 an hour at that business, secretary, account manager, senior account manager, vice president, bought the company, quadrupled in size. Wow. So here we have this business that has provided everything for the family. You know, you go from yeah. making six bucks an hour and uh, dad's a teamster to barely getting by. Huh. And then all of a sudden you're flush with cash. The woman, she was cleaning houses wow. at one it's point. American dream. Yeah, it really is. It's just incredible to working girl story. Yeah. And then for me to come into that business and, you know, I'd be capable of taking it over, but not wanting to be there full time. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a classic story of like, and, Immigrant coming in, working their ass off, uh, doing an incredibly good job. You know, American dream, like you said, yeah. so they can provide for this future generation of mm -hmm. their family and that future generation going, and then you don't want it. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go hit some open mics. <laughs> no, thank you. I see that this could make me $500,000 a yeah. year and I could be, but I was miserable. I was firing right, single firing moms them. without yeah. help, you know, daycare. It was horrible. Was it like George Clooney and it up in exactly the air? Like was it just this soul crushing experience? It really was. So I was trying to balance it out. So I would uh, take stained glass classes. I'd volunteer for the big brothers, big sisters. Now I'm 28 <laughs> years old. Yeah, I really was trying yeah. to even the scales and I'm now I'm working there 
cry at some points crying at your desk is just horrible like it really is yeah. does weigh on you i fired thousands of people and it's tough so i always knew i wanted to be a stand-up and i knew mm-hmm. if i made it to 30 it was going to be a little bit more challenging mm-hmm. so i started and it took off and yeah now i get to be here <laughs> well you're one of those rare guys that started out both an improv and stand-up do you consider yourself more of a stand-up or an improv guy or did one influence you Sorry, more than the I, other i hate to do this to you, okay but go that's for bad it. information oh it is uh, it? It oh is i thought that you had no like improv. an improv group i was in a sketch group a sketch so group. written Okay. Very different. Well, what's the difference between an improv group and a sketch group? So now we got to go way yeah, back. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> just, uh, okay. d- taking suggestions versus scripted material. Saturday okay. Night Live versus right. Black oh, Box okay. Theater. Okay, I get it. Saying, give me a suggestion. Yeah. Whose line is it anyway versus Saturday right, Night Live? Right, right. You know, okay, I get it. Okay, so a sketch group. Okay. Yeah, so are you, are you more of a stand-up guy or a sketch guy? Then? I like both. I mean, when yeah. I was growing up, Martin Short. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rick Moranis, so early days of SCTV. Mm-hmm. He was just a huge comedy fan. There's other comedians on my block, but I would love stand-up as well. I mm-hmm. think I started getting into stand-up quite a bit. I listened in, uh, to the radio. There was a show in San Francisco that Alex Bennett did mm-hmm. where he had San Francisco stand-up comedians on. So Pat Oswalt was one of those guys. And Mike Meehan, who coincidentally lived across the block from me, I think that <laughs> had a big influence. Um, so... I get to hear Bobby Slayton and all these guys on the mm-hmm. radio. Uh, Bob Rubin, who was very funny, Larry Bubbles Brown, and totally got into it. And then yeah. Comedy Central starts, and John Stewart is hosting a show, and Mark Marin is hosting as well, uh, called Short Attention Span Theater. Mm-hmm. Just s- snackable little chunks of stand up. There's also Funny. Uh, I think yeah. Funny is Funny with um, Wally Collins. That's probably not the name of that. Uh, but. Stand-up, stand-up, maybe. Anyway, uh, watching all these little chunks of stand-up, and I would just watch them over and over and over again. And Ray Romano dangling against keys, and John Campanera, and all these comics. It was like, oh, I love this. And then it took me another eight years to get off my ass and get over the fear of actually doing it and just do it. Really? So those guys were your role models coming up as a comic? Yeah, totally. I mean, just local comics in San Francisco. But then also, you know, every every comedian that's sort of my generation points to Eddie Murphy, Mm -hmm. Delirious, Raw, everybody has their own. But, I mean, you know, Eddie Murphy... And I loved uh, Dave Chappelle when I first started, yeah. that Killing Me Softly um, hour is like the best hour I've ever seen. Before The Daily Show, what was your first big break as a comic? Um, you know, I was I went to the 2002 Just for Last Montreal Comedy Festival, and that was a new face there. That's like the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. And then got cast in a sitcom that brought me and my wife, uh, we brought us down to L.A. So in like 2003, getting cast in that sitcom got me away from the family business officially and launched me into television acting, where I made primarily made all my money. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, you know, TV shows that no one's seen. Um, I've done over 10 pilots. Have you really? Yeah. So I've done a lot of TV shows. What is that like doing a pilot? It's good. You know, if it's bad. So if people are completely unfamiliar, just yeah. uh, back up again. Do you get your hopes up? Or do you I have to teach not yourself to. not to get I, your hopes eventually, up now Eventually, after pilot? pilot five, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you realize that. Uh, do you get kind of cynical now? <laughs> no, not at all. I just yeah. uh, know it's uh, the ups and downs are part of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see this Neil Patrick Harris quote that. I think of a lot and it's basically an old producer uh, grabbed him and his family when he was on Dookie Hauser 
and said something to the effect of, kid, you're a surfer, <laughs> and this is going to be a great wave, but it's going to be a long one or a short one. It's going to come to an end, and then you're going to turn around, and you're going to swim back out, and you're going to catch another one, but you're going to enjoy the time in between. You're going to keep your head up. You're going to smile. You're going to look around, enjoy the beautiful surroundings, and then catch the wave, shorter, long, and just keep riding them. <laughs> and so that's what I do is just uh, take opportunities, mm -hmm. enjoy myself when I'm there, and uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've resisted being pigeonholed throughout your career as a Latino comic, and at times you've even taken your fair amount of crap from the Latino community for that. Do you think it's harder to break out as a mainstream comic if you're not a white guy in this country? Um, I, I really no, uh, because no. I mean, there's comics right now that are like we were just talking about this the other night, so it's, it's going to sound well. It, okay, <laughs> so there's niche comedy yeah. that you have people that fall into these certain categories. That there's a population of people just waiting for that comic to emerge. So there's mm -hmm. all these like pioneer comics for your category. So yeah. um, Russell Peters for Indian Americans, mm -hmm. and just globally, he's humongous. Or yeah. George Lopez for Mexican right. comedians, and you see these pioneer comics in every single category. But then it gets a little bit more niche as you like trickle down and things progress, and everything's been done. But yes, it's difficult for your regular. I think it's more difficult maybe for your regular white guy. The really? the material has to be fantastic. But huh, I think niche comics get away with a little bit more. And, um, yeah, so you're too, okay. your, your white male will complain that he's got it a little bit more difficult right now. That's interesting. Um, I've never really thought about that. But I guess he doesn't have kind of his ethnic history he doesn't to fall have his back pioneer on group. if he you wants know, Maz to. Maz uh, Jubrani is a good yeah. friend of mine, Iranian comedian that has is one of the first big Persian comics to take off. And yeah. so he could go and tour, you know, go to Dubai and make him to, to come home with money in a bag. It's amazing. <laughs> and so anyway, I think it is yeah. easier. So Ali Wong is a good example of that. Right. Uh, Netflix special, adorable, fantastic person, great jokes and yeah, then hilarious. boom takes off you know yeah. so but so much of her comedy is still mainstream actually it's not going mm -hmm. back to her roots and yeah, so but forth it's also but you know it also brought jokes out. about yeah. her yeah it's, it's, she's doing baby material yeah know, so anyway and what my weird thing is is that you know i am this I speak to second generation Latinos that don't really speak Spanish. <laughs> like my group is like just, I have the most narrow group of all time. So I just do regular jokes. I just sort of talk yeah. about whatever I talk about and I'm mm -hmm. not giving it that much thought. Yeah. I think, um, you know, if, if it's not as calculated as you might think, I'm just <laughs> doing what I think is funny. Yeah. And that's it. Well, a couple of years ago, you did this great comedic documentary that followed you when you were trying to get in touch with your Mexican roots and going down to a family reunion in Tijuana, it received a lot of praise from critics. And I think I read that, I guess schools were reaching out to you because they wanted to use it to teach. Yeah. Students. They were asking permission to teach it. Uh, so what, what were they going to do with it? I have no what idea. Did, what were they trying to teach show with it? it in their classroom? But I think what it, it speaks to is in, this is, is in the special, but, um, Latinos, and all groups are always trying to play a game with their expertise, and every Filipino is trying to huh. out-Filipino each other, <laughs> and every yeah. Mexican is trying to prove that they're more, they're a better Chicano 
then everyone's <laughs> playing. It's like you want to. It's like Star Wars fans or just mm-hmm. anything. All they're trying to uh, one up yeah, the other. Yeah, the lead of their niche. Exactly, huh? exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe that's what they're teaching. I think it because that's sort of making people. I think the woman that I spoke to from. Um, at University of uh, California at Irvine was saying that she found that in a lot of her classes, she was half Mexican, mm-hmm. and here she is, this sort of Latino studies professor, and she was getting called out on a regular <laughs> basis. Like, there couldn't be. Um, I did a Daily Show piece where Curtis Acosta in Tucson, he was saying, but that's when Chicano studies got banned. Mm-hmm. In Tucson, they actually, you know, low-level Tea Party guys infiltrated uh, <laughs> the politics in Tucson, got Chicano studies banned, and those books banned from classes. There was really <laughs> book burning. And so this guy, Curtis, he was a half Mexican. He didn't speak any Spanish. And as darker than I look more Latino than I could ever hope to. And he said it was a constant. It was, it was sort of a, a thing from guys in our generation that their parents, my dad came, my grandparents came to the United States. My dad spoke Spanish and English, but had such a difficult time growing up mm-hmm. at that time, but graduated high school in 1957, that he um, was trying to be as American as possible. So, <laughs> you know, like, and like the way he went to a prep school, yeah, sweater over his shoulders, huh. was trying to really assimilate as much as possible. Yeah. A joke that he used to... Um, he did this, actually. We went to Tijuana when I was little, and he went into the polo store, Ralph Lauren store, which is like a... It had to be a fake Ralph Lauren In store. Tijuana? He, yeah, well, he walked away with a handful of just the polos. Like there was, So if he wanted what to do, you do just your favorite, the polos? The insignia the that insignia. goes on your <laughs> yeah, uh, chest, so, yeah, right on your yeah. breastplate. So, yeah, yeah. So he <laughs> would... Like make a shirt polo for you, <laughs> like because you know that we could make was, that. Was shirt there a polo. ceremony to that? <laughs> no, it's just like, like yeah, anointing. yeah. Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, okay. he really was trying to assimilate. Huh. So and everybody from that generation. So I've found a lot of those guys that yeah. identify with this. But again, it's it's a small group. So I'm again, <laughs> I'm really not sure what they were teaching, but yeah. um, I think it's it's really being comfortable with who you are. There's this whole symbolic self-completion theory thing Mm -hmm. like the the less you truly are of something the more you go out of your way to prove it so (laughs) like the most confident surfer isn't have his car plastered with i'm a surfer right yeah Uh, you know and the rack and all the gear and the clothes and yeah yeah, he just surfs yeah so i think it's it speaks to just being comfortable with who you are and Mm -hmm. uh, not letting other people affect you so hopefully that's what they're teaching yeah and yet in spite of all this you ended up going to the daily show and becoming their senior latino correspondent But <laughs> at The Daily Show, if you watch a lot of the pieces, I was very quick to address right. that. It was a gag. Well, it, no, but also, yeah. I there's no, this is probably what I'm going to be talking about a lot today when I sit on these panels, but they always try to lump Latinos together like mm-hmm. there'd be, you know, in some homogenous group. Like the that we yeah. all the Latino vote, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. The Cubans and Puerto Ricans are right. not identifying with immigration as an issue. There's yeah. no like there's so there's uh, you know to say and this was a piece that I actually did with John Oliver when he was uh, uh, taking over the summer that John went to go do his movie 
But it's like me, John. You know, me calling John. It's like me calling you Irish. What would yeah. you do then? And you know, he breaks a <laughs> bottle and threatens me. And so it, it it really is true. And then Latinos. So I was the first to say on many of these um, pieces that I did for John in the show that it's like whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> no one's the spokesperson. There yeah. is no spokesperson. <laughs> But I am one of the only Latinos in show business working. Like, that was the whole thing. Like, who's left? We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with comedian Al Madrigal when we come back in just a moment. Hey, guys. Do you hate shopping for clothes? Well, now there's an easier way to get better clothes, Bombfell. Bombfell is an online personal styling service that helps men find the right clothes for them. And unlike other services, there are no fees to work with them, so it costs nothing to sign up. It's simple and straightforward. All you have to do is complete a questionnaire, and a dedicated personal stylist will handpick pieces specially for you. Then, once you've viewed your selections, you'll have 48 hours to make any changes or even cancel altogether. You're in total control, and you only pay for the clothes you keep. Plus, you have the option of receiving clothes once every one, two, or three months because Bombfell is on your side, and they don't make money if you don't find something you want to keep. I just got my first order from Bombfell. I gave my stylist my measurements and answered just a few questions about my style and what I like. He came back to me with a hand-picked outfit just for me. My stylist selected a beautiful sports jacket made out of high-quality linen, perfect for the summer, along with a button-down and a polo shirt that go great with my new jacket or on their own. I was able to change the color if I want, and if I'm ever not in love with the selection, I just say so and my stylist comes back to me with a totally new selection. And these weren't some weird off-brand items. We're talking quality, fashionable clothes that fits great. Plus, it was easy and fast, and I didn't have to waste a lot of time in a store. I love good clothes, and that's why I really love Bombfell. Best of all, I've negotiated with Bombfell to get my listeners a special offer of $25 off your first purchase when you go to bombfell.com slash kick. That's bombfell, spelled B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash kick. And now, back to the show. But what's Jon Stewart like to work with? I mean, I tend to think that he's probably pretty manic and hardcore. No, no, I, I think actually the opposite really? is that he had, by the time I got there, I don't know about early days, I could just speak to just the relationship I had and uh, what I was able to observe. And he's, everything is very organized. Mm-hmm. He's a genius. Yeah. Uh, so he's able to write and formulate and give you a take on something that you never thought of. And it's always the better option. <laughs> and, um, he finds a way to make things smart and silly at the same time, which is something I try to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I was at, at the Daily Show in a time where the correspondents weren't really getting on that much. So I was mm-hmm. there technically for five years back and forth. My family stayed in Los Angeles and I commuted back and forth. So, God, that's yeah, insane. It was brutal. So I flew back every single. I had eight days, nine days, ten days, did stand-up whenever I could, and um, really did, when the opportunity came to work on a TV show, I was on this NBC show called About a Boy, and I got cast in that. It was like, 
all right, everybody, I'll, I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm going to go do that and yeah. make five times more money and sleep in my bed every night. That's brutal. I mean, I've never had to do any kind of a commute that requires me to go through a TSA check. That's got to be brutal. Oh, I was just a machine. I, in terms of travel, I was that's the oh, George yeah. Clooney thing I had down. Like I just like navigate my way through oh, yeah. an airport better than anyone. That's just so <laughs> funny when I travel with my family. Yeah, I just <laughs> don't want. They slow me down so much. <laughs> yeah, but I'm pre-check on everything and yeah. slide through and knew exactly when to go, where to sit, what to do. Like just. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was too much of a pro. Well, I read the terrific Chris Smith book about The Daily Show, which I know you participated in. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how the field crews on The Daily Show were kind of these gonzo renegades who could kind of push the envelope and go rogue a little bit more. When you did field pieces on The Daily Show, did you guys get away with a lot more, do you think? We had a thing that we did, and you guys can look this up, a Bridge to Canada piece. I forget exactly what it's called, but if you tell more bridges, more problems, maybe. <laughs> and it's, um, if you look at the shot where I'm, I, tr- I travel and there's a bridge toll uh, person, and I'm trying, you can't shoot on a bridge. You can't? You cannot shoot on any bridge. <laughs> really? Uh, there's Why? no camera work that can be done. It's a, it's a Homeland Security thing. Oh, you're kidding so me. There's I didn't zero know that. filming that can take place on any bridge. Golden Gate Bridge, obviously, you know, different. Yeah. Uh, but for the most wow, part. I never realized that. I think it's also when it's a, uh, a bridge to a border as well. Like there's oh, these yeah, rules. Yeah. So we couldn't shoot. <laughs> okay. And we went up to a Six Flags in New Jersey and created that entire thing and john came into the screening <laughs> on, a, on what a like, fake bridge at their toll no just at the ticket booth when you drive into the parking lot oh that's hilarious yeah, so it's amazing it's, uh, <laughs> it's supposed to be a border Ian Berger produced the entire piece it is amazing we had uh, pas driving back and forth sound effects just did the entire thing but looked at each other and was like, we, we can't tell John this. <laughs> That's great. And so uh, tried to hide it. But then he goes, John came into the screening and he goes, that's amazing. That's so good. How did you get her to communicate? It was an actress. And so he goes, how did you get her to do that? And I go, do you really want to know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, we'll, we'll tell you. What was your favorite field piece? That one or something else? No, this uh, Brennan Schroff uh, produced a piece that... I think it's Mex Tex. It's mm-hmm. my. It's pretty much my last piece. It was at the um, Austin. We went to Austin in 2014, and I uh, did a piece. Of Danny Trejo closed it out, and it was um, me trying to find out where the illegal flow of these Mexicans was coming from and why they were here. And so it's just, it all came together great. That's when every single element from a piece came together. And uh, again, produced by this guy, Brendan Schroff, who's incredible. So um, yeah, it that's my easily my favorite one. I have so many. The Bridge to Canada piece mm-hmm. is awesome. Because uh, I was with the leader of the Black Panthers, New Black Panthers in Detroit. There's a new Black Panthers? Yeah, so he's What's like the difference? this <laughs> six foot six, 400 pound guy named Malik Shabazz, I believe. Okay. And um, I basically told him that he was working in uh, for the man. 
and he was getting paid for the man, and he was not happy about it. So I looked this guy right in the eyes. Security. Um, we were at one point, you know, Detroit, was, and I'm not sure what's changed since then because again, this is 2012, possibly. We were in Detroit filming, and the camera crew said. Hey, it's getting dark. We need to leave now. <laughs> and I said, "We're with the Black Panthers." And he goes, "I don't give a shit who we're with. We got to get out of here before it gets dark." That was shit. it. And so I, I was in again in the field, yeah. out in some crazy situations. Yeah. I did a Cinco de Mayo misdirect piece for uh, when Barack Obama announced, and it was uh, it was at. Um, University of uh, Richmond in like Virginia and mm-hmm. uh, Virginia Richmond and I was at a Mexican bar and was threatened multiple times so like five <laughs> guys wanted to fight me it was crazy <laughs> what so, did you do well people why did they want to fight drunk, you drunk man and okay. there was a camera out ah. and so <laughs> okay you, you have to get what you need to get and yeah. get out of there. Yeah. And uh, it was scary. I mean, it was in some very uh, scary situations. So yeah. Do you remember what your audition was for The Daily Show? Oh, totally. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. uh, Debbie Riddle, a congresswoman from Texas who wanted, she had a bill. She was proposing that um, we create this sort of, I'm sure multiple people have tried to do this over the years, but this second tier Latino non-citizen that if okay. you were a nanny, a cook, a gardener, or a housekeeper, you were exempt from deportation, and you could be also <laughs> exempt from any labor laws as well, okay. so you could pay like four bucks an hour, and they, um, she oh had proposed God. this, and that was my audition, <laughs> and John sort of hired me on the spot. So basically, if you're an illegal Latino who was useful to white people, then you could stay. Exactly. (laughs) They wouldn't deport you. Yes. Wow. Yep. (laughs) That's insane. Mm -hmm. Now, nowadays, you're also a regular on this terrific Showtime series, I'm Dying Up Here, which is a dark comedy sort of about up-and-coming comics at a comedy club on the Sunset Strip in the 70s. a lot of more people would say it's there's a comedy store, the Improv, and the Laugh Factory. That also right. there's this comedy boom, and yeah. the comedy store was like the first place where stars were really made. You can also it was a time where you could go on Carson and you were instantly famous. Mm-hmm. So right. we're just sort of um, the thing about this show is it's maybe we're a little too accurate, and the comics that I was talking to from San Francisco. We were going back and we were looking at all the comics we started with, and there's maybe 50 of us mm-hmm. over the years. About six of us have made it. This is a story about a lot of those people that didn't. Yeah. And some do, and a lot don't. And it's yeah. depressing, and a lot of people are really fucked up. And yeah. so that's what this show is uh, about. All of these guys there were very few female comedians at the time, so we mm-hmm. we're really accurate. The material, the stand-up material, it's not that great, but of the, it's not. It's it yeah, just it's wasn't about the struggle. It's yeah. about the struggle. No, it's we were maybe uh, too. What I'm saying is we were. I wrote on the show as well, and we were a little too accurate uh-huh. with the stand-up because <laughs> if you go back and listen to Freddie Prince's material on a midnight special, go watch it on YouTube. 
it's not good at all. It doesn't hold up. <laughs> really? A lot of it doesn't. So we huh. were sort of accurate to the time period and mm-hmm. to the stand-up. And um, it's a really dark show because comics, and if you're not a comic, I guess you want it to be a comedy and everything to be hilarious. But there's a lot. I've seen guys do coke in front of their kids. You know, I've yeah. seen like I've seen some <laughs> crazy shit. Yeah, I mean, when you look back at that era and the comics, how they were just partying and doing cocaine and just going crazy. Yeah consistently every night and then you see what happened to some of those guys who were at the top of their game and now aren't with us anymore are you kind of glad that you didn't come up in that era no i wish i came up in that oh you do yeah it would have been much easier uh yeah there's a low bar (laughs) okay and no i i also looked like a lot of fun i mean i've just Mm -hmm. i think jay leno and you know people had a lot of fun there was a lot of great times and so we just sort of concentrate on some of the darker stuff yeah. from stand-up i have a lot of dead friends i have 10 dead wow comic friends easily i mean you look at mitch hedberg greg mm-hmm. giraldo uh freddie soto uh, there's a guy i started with that uh, died uh he was my open mic buddy it's it's rough it's yeah. like if you're not a wow. comic um you don't know any yeah. of these stories like i mean i the, the list would take a comic that i toured with marilyn martinez mm-hmm. died of cancer and just like wow. pretty much right in front of me and we were all buddies and so yeah. some depressing shit yeah. that happens and then a lot of us you know it's a, i have free access to liquor every single night mm-hmm. that i want it uh, so i can drink for free anywhere i go all the time and for example, I went to the Ice House last night just to yeah. hang out with a friend Ian Bag oh, and place. Brendan Small. I was, so I was sitting there, and it's like, what can I get you? If, mm-hmm. And if I wanted to have nine drinks, I could have had nine drinks, and not one person would have wow. dare stop me. <laughs> so um, it's it's yeah. rough. And then there's access. Yeah. There's all these people want to hang out with you as well. Right. So we get. I can get anything. I can get a. Yeah. Hooker and a handgun, you know, that was faster than anyone could possibly imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, comics are so prone to alcoholism and depression. I mean, do you have a secret to how you can be a comic and not be morose? The family is an excellent it? balance yeah. and just concentrating on, I, I really try my best to look forward and mm-hmm. not concentrate on the careers of anybody else. I just don't yeah. care. I have a, you know, like a, the family is a great balance between comic life. I don't know. My uh, kids are actually gone with my wife. They went to go visit my mom, and I had to do this, so I didn't go. But just going around, like I went to a comedy club by myself last night. I was like, what am I doing? This is horrible. <laughs> I went and saw Wonder Woman yesterday because I hadn't seen it. Everyone's seen it. And I was like, ugh, just guy by himself in the movie. I did not deal well with that. So yeah, I'd be a drug addict, drug addict in two seconds. <laughs> well, you and Bill Burr have a podcast of your own called... Podcast Network, actually. Oh, well, so, right. So, yeah, so we have a small podcast. Yeah, a podcast it, and a podcast network. Sort of a half-ass attempt at a podcast. <laughs> okay. uh, but but more importantly for everybody listening is that yeah, we have, we started our own network. So, you know, this is at a time where we're watching the podcast take off. I had one mm-hmm. called Minivan Men mm-hmm. that was, uh, we yeah. did 90 or so episodes. It was just uh, me and a couple other comics talking about our kids when they were smaller. And um, we pulled a bunch of them together. We started with 10. Now we have close to 60. Wow. We spun off uh, the website and a studio as well. We partnered with a company called Soapbox Films. Yeah. We just took on some money. And all the, this is what's different is all the comics own it. 
And there's a yeah, percentage cool. of the company is dedicated to the comedians that participate. Mm-hmm. And so if they're an active comic with the network and continue to put out their podcast based on downloads, when we start making money, which we will, we're going to pay dividends to all those mm-hmm. comics based on what they Great. contribute to the network. So your show, you should. You should start asking some no serious comic. questions. <laughs> yeah, I know, but seriously, about you don't want your, me on your network. Trust your me. situation, <laughs> like well, you should be owning a larger part of it because what you have. Oh, is, I own all of it. I know you own all of it, but <laughs> that doesn't mean much. <laughs> exactly. No, 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 no. But there's a bigger play. You can yeah. joining forces with other podcasts yeah. in your category to make a bigger move is something that. Well, tell me who considered. Yeah, who are some of the comics that you have at the All Things Comedy Network? Oh, we have some great ones. It's just such a variety as well. So we have um, from, you know, start with Bill Burr, Bobby Lee, who used to be on Mad TV, Mm -hmm. has a great one called Tiger Belly that I can't recommend enough. He's hilarious. Um, There's uh, Tom Segura, who is one of the nation's best uh, comics. Uh, He does one with his wife called Your Mom's House. Uh, you have Bert Kreischer, who's hilarious. Um, uh, Jen Kirkman, I Seem Fun podcast is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have allegedly, I, so you go on and mm-hmm. on. We have all, our sort of common denominator wow, for everybody is all professional comedians. Yeah. And it's, again, you know, it's all people that we find yeah. funny. A couple have snuck in, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You know, that's when that's I was really cool. I mean, it does seem like that is where the comedy boom of this generation is. You know, it's like it was in the 70s. Like we were saying, you had the clubs, then you had the TV in like the well, 80s. It's and just going crazy everywhere like now. The next thing I think you're totally right. I, but I think it's podcasting. I think it's mm-hmm. in the clubs, the theater, the comedy mm-hmm. stores is, is yeah. packed every single night. Wow. So yeah, I think it's all over the country. I think with the internet and like podcasts and the yeah, the people that are able to find their audience and their audience is able to find them. I mean, comics you've never mm-hmm. heard of are selling out shows all over the country based on these you know, dedicated fans. And so, yeah. we, I mean, it's awesome. Well, before we go, not to pigeonhole you as a Latino comic again, but, but if you were to sit, if you were to sit down with the president and Try to just be man to this man president? and talk sense. Yeah, this president. No, no one and can talk sense to him. Talk sense to him yeah. about immigration, Have about the wall. Fish. What would you say to him? How would you um, approach him? Well, you know, he's contradicting himself right now because mm-hmm. they just approved uh, visas for fifteen thousand people to come in and be seasonal workers that he needs in mm-hmm. his own winery, yeah. <laughs> and so it, yeah. the it's been decided. There's no way around this. Uh, non-citizens and this this labor uh, that comes in and they did try to do it in Alabama when they tried to get <laughs> rid of all of the undocumented workers and they had all of the seasonal workers uh, employers were penalized yeah. and they had a group of Republicans sitting around going what did we do yeah. <laughs> one black guy Shoot lasted a foot. week yeah out and, and everything just was rotting on the vine. We need, and yeah. Latinos are the only people that will ever do these jobs. And you have to face, there has to be some path to citizenship. There has to be driver's license and registered non-citizens. Mm-hmm. There just has to be that also are treated fairly. And there have to be laws to protect those people from being mm-hmm. taken advantage of. Because, you know, standing up and, you know, waving your hand at a Home Depot and, you know, you can really be, I've heard a lot of stories about those guys. They've been dropped off without pay and just mm-hmm. completely taken advantage of. So we need some way 
on both sides to make sure mm -hmm. that you know, it's fair because there's it, we undeniably need these people. No doubt about it. Well, your Showtime special, Shrimp and Ain't Easy. Shrimp and Ain't Easy. Shrimp and Ain't Easy. Yep. And the other one is Why is the Rabbit demand? Crying? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Why is the Rabbit Crying? Shrimp and Ain't Easy. Okay. And the and Podcast Network, uh, iTunes, all things the comedy. usual. Just yeah. allthingscomedy.com. Okay. And, and we're in the process okay. of redoing everything, but okay. it's very exciting. Is there going to be a second season of I'm Dying Up Here? Well, I'm writing that now, pitching it with the showrunners. And we have to sort of sing for our suppers, so we're okay. going to uh, lay it out. Hopefully, there will be. I think there will be. Fingers um, crossed. We have some great stuff. All right. Well, thanks so much, sure, Al Madrigal. I appreciate right. you coming on the podcast. No problem. <laughs> thanks again to Al Madrigal for joining me on the podcast, and thanks to the great folks at Politicon for hosting our interview. They do a great event for political junkies like you and me every year, and you can learn more about it at Politicon.com. Watch Al Madrigal's stand-up special, Shrimpin' Ain't Easy, and his series, I'm Dying Up Here, with a subscription to Showtime or Showtime Anytime. Be sure to listen to his podcast and other hilarious shows on the All Things Comedy Podcast Network at allthingscomedy.com or wherever you get your podcasts. For Al Madrigal's live stand-up dates and other fun stuff, visit almadrigal.com and follow him on Twitter at at almadrigal. Be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. Don't forget to take our listener survey. It only takes five minutes at podsurvey.com kick. You can visit Kick-Ass News on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at at kickassnewspod. And be sure to recommend Kick-Ass News to your friends on your social media. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at gofundme.com slash kickassnews. Or click on the donate button at kickassnews.com. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. For now, though, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Kick-Ass News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.